everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Attendance Bias. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. The first week of March is always a conspicuous part of the year for me. No religious or secular holidays, no birthdays or wedding anniversaries in my social circle, but there is one series of dates that will always deserve some deep thought, if not any flowers, chocolate, or greeting cards. I'm talking about March 6th, 7th, and 8th, 2009, when Fish returned to the live stage at Hampton Coliseum. As of 2024, it will be 15 years since that beautiful weekend. Being a Fish stats nerd, round numbers, especially ones divisible by five, hold significance for me. And looking back, it sometimes feels like the reunion happened to a completely different person. This is the topic for the three-episode miniseries coming up starting today, called This Time Will Be Different, 15 Years Since Hampton. For the next three episodes, I will be joined by two co-hosts, Scott Marks and Charlie Dirksen of Fish.net and the Mockingbird Foundation. The three of us will take a look back not only at the 2009 Hampton reunion, but at the major Fish events that led to it, including the band's hiatus from 2000 to 2002, the breakup from 2004 to 2008, And then episode three will focus on that glorious weekend in March 2009. But let's not skip too far ahead. Today, please welcome Scott Marks and Charlie Dirksen of Fish.net and the Mockingbird Foundation as we open This Time Will Be Different, episode one. Gentlemen, Charlie Dirksen, Scott Marks of Fish.net and the Mockingbird Foundation, thank you so much for joining me for this Three episode arc, this kind of three episode mini series within attendance bias called This Time Will Be Different 15 Years Since Hampton. Charlie, how are you doing? Well, thank you. Thanks again for inviting me. Appreciate it. My pleasure. And Scott, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, glad to be back. I'm glad to have you back. You know, we have people from all over on my podcast, and I figure that this acknowledgement for the 15-year anniversary of Fish returning to Hampton is deserving of discussion. I'm crazy about round numbers, so 15 years means something to me, even if it really means nothing in the big scheme. I wanted this to be an acknowledgement and kind of an appreciation of how long it's been since Fish returned in 2009. Like One thing I always think about when Fish plays now in 2023 or 2024 is it's all gravy. At this point, right? There was a long stretch where a lot of us probably thought they would never come back. But now this is a lot of gravy. The hiatus and the breakup happened so long ago that to me, it feels like they happened to another person, like another version of me in a different world. And I'd love to revisit what that was like, not only what life without fish was like, but what our thoughts were at each time in 2000. And then again in 2004. And then made the last episode. 2009. Episode one, today, we're hoping to focus on the hiatus. So fish from 2000 to their comeback on December 31st, 2002. But let's take a look to get things started, the hiatus. So what led to it to begin with? Announced on September 30th, 2000 during Fly Famous Mockingbird. And Charlie, you said you were at that show, right? I was. Yeah. That was one of the two Vegas shows, right? Yeah, it was uh it was they were quite <laughs> quite 
wild shows. They were both um, really good. Kid Rock came out, obviously, at one of them, causing a ruckus among some people who were, you know, shocked that Fish would uh, would have a misogynist of his caliber on stage. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it's Vegas, and they were probably just, you know, doing drugs together, and it was one of those things that, you know, happens when one does drugs with another rock star, I think you get invited on stage. Uh, so, and, and it was hilarious what they did, obviously um, the ACDC cover. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I wish I remembered the mockingbird narration more than I do. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I seem to recall at the time, like, because it had been rumored for a while that they were going to go on a hiatus. Um, I don't, recall being at all surprised that the october shoreline shows were going to be the last fish shows for a long time but i i i never doubted that they would be back so i didn't look at them as the final fish shows scott do you remember where you were about in the fall of 2000 when fish made this announcement and maybe even what your reaction to it was um i was in my senior year of college and was it was like watching the webcast. It was like one of the first webcasts I should ever done on some internet thing. And I don't really remember what my reaction was. Or maybe it's just kind of been dulled down over the years with the passage of time. And you know, it's I've been dancing back for you know 14, maybe 15 years uh, in March. You know, it feels like a lifetime ago at this point. Start by taking this opportunity. A couple of little uh, things I just want to say that um, we've got about six gigs left on this tour, and um, the four of us were talking backstage. And I want to take this sort of uh, speaking opportunity to thank a couple of people before we go on uh, what's going to be um, kind of our first extended hiatus in about 17 years. Um, No, really, it's uh, it's this kind of a cool thing right now. Actually, you might have seen some cameras floating around. They're they're doing an internet feed um, from this show, so it's an opportunity for us to use um, you know this feed into the internet to kind of speak to you and all the other people who have supported us so much over the last 17 years via you know cyberspace. So um, um, let me just say that it, it's. Uh, you know, what we're planning on doing so that you get the message clearly from, from us right here is, is taking some time and writing some music and kind of getting our, you know, whole life back together and then, you know, before we recharge so we can get, hopefully get another 17 great years Given us this opportunity to have uh, 
do what we do, and, and we do love it. Um, thank you all so much for everything that you've done for us, and um, we appreciate it so much. And, and I will do, like I said, we have six shows left for going up the West Coast, and then we're gonna go back home. I will take this opportunity to uh, draw attention to uh, our crew. We have, without exaggerating, the greatest crew ever assembled in, uh, in, in the history of music. And I mean that, and uh, this is a chance for them to take a little breather too as uh, it's coming up, but I do want to just for the four of us thank them and just tell you, no, it's, it's uh, a lot goes into this, it's not just the four of us, it's a whole big family kind of team thing. So. I remember this being on a teeny tiny little computer screen, you know, running on a probably 56, 6K uh, baud modem. Like that's the best we could do. Yeah, and said, Ethernet through college, you know, it's so different from, you know, being able to watch it on your TV now. You know, technology was just a lot different back then. Yeah, he said, I want to make sure that you get the message clearly from us right here. You know, for for all the crazy rumors that go around, I say Trey, but I really mean the band, Fish, is really taking a uh, proactive stance to let everyone know what's going on. He said, we, we are taking some time and writing some music and kind of getting our home life back together, you know, and before we can recharge so we can hopefully go on another 17 great years. And then he goes on to thank... Uh, the audience and the crew. And he says, this is a chance for them, the crew, to take a little breather too. And he says, a lot goes into it. It's not just the four of us. It's a whole big family thing. And so, I don't know. Was it as simple as drugs? So, no. the thing that no, I, I think, think about so. with the the hiatus, I, I think it was Fishman that had, had mentioned that they, that they had a conversation you know, they're at Big Cypress or right after Big Cypress when it ended. And they're like, where do we go from here? And he played at a festival of 80,000 people um, at the dawn of millennium. You know, where exactly would you go from there? And I guess you could, you know, they continue on that tra trajectory. They could have been playing it in stadiums or something. So they never got to that point. But, you know, you've, you've gone from, you know, playing clubs to, you know, playing at the garden every year. That was like the, the high point. Some wondering if the seeds were kind of planted as far back as Big Cypress. You wouldn't know it because, you know, Farmhouse came out in 2000 and they're doing all these promotional gigs, um, which you really, you haven't seen any promotional gigs for any other album in the band's history. But Farmhouse, again, it just seemed like they were the, the highlight or the, the high point of their their popularity where again, they're, they're doing the, the radio gigs and perhaps they could still do them now if they wanted to. Maybe it's just not something that they really care about. Uh, they're, they're playing international shows in uh, 97, 98, 99, 2000 in uh, Europe and Japan. And they were just at that, that peak. And then the hiatus hits. Charlie, what do you think? When I said, is it just drugs? It sounded like you had a lot to say, too. No, not a lot. But I mean, <laughs> it, it wasn't just drugs. Um, I think they were really, really tired. I think they've been playing a lot of shows. I think their family wanted to see them. What Trey's girls were really young at that point, right? So, and Fishman, I don't think he was married yet. But yeah, like... So he had been pregnant you know, at that point as well. Right. Right. right in 99. Right. 
Yeah. So I, you know, I think they needed a break. They played a lot of shows. Um, but I mean, drugs contributed. But also, if I remember correctly, they had this crazy guest list. Um, the clinic, like they had a lot of people who got after show passes and that sort of thing, or passes to get beers, you know, at set break and stuff. And I, I, I some, I think I remember hearing or reading that it was like crazy big at that point. And one way of sort of trying to shut that scene down, or at least call it down a bit was just to go on a hiatus. Um, so I think that that may have been part of it. But I think I, I would hope the main reason was this that they needed to spend more time with their families and and take it easy. But and it didn't last that long. Right. <laughs> you know, it really didn't. <laughs> so you know the thing about their family stood out to me too. You know, the fact that Trey mentions that the band, and this is a quote, he said he wants they want to get their home lives back in order. Yeah, I think they were entering their 40s in 2000 and you have to imagine from being what 17 18 all the way through those decades of their lives i have to imagine the whole band was eating drinking thinking and playing fish since 1983 or 85 if you're page and between recording and tours they were not home that often and when they were on tour they were probably partying like the rock stars that they were but to be but to be clear, like they were not in their they were not entering their forties. They were as someone who has been through the forties in their defense, uh, you know, in two thousand Trey was what, thirty-five? Yeah, I guess so, maybe toward the mid thirties. Yeah. yeah. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So I just you know how big it is to go to the forties when you're thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight. You're not in your forties yet. God you know? damn it. <laughs> it's, it's hard to it's hard to say like you you look at you look at the hiatus and then you look at all the, the shows trey played the next year um like he's really you know never taken a break um maybe after the, the arrest he took a little bit of a break because he had to but i mean he's been playing whether it's been with fish or tab pretty much non-stop um since 83 page didn't play a ton of shows during the hiatus, Mike didn't play Thunder Shoes during the hiatus. This one obviously did as well. So, yeah, I like think you, Fish you take one band, you switch for something else, and you're. Still I think Fish is on time. record. I think Fishman is on record. Scott is saying that Trey shits music. I think that's yes. like a direct quote. Yes, so, yeah, quote. right. So, for someone who shits music, there's just you know you it. Can't stop. I, I bet, I, yeah, I bet you. Even when he what was it ten months when he was in the drug program after he got arrested, I think I want to say it was ten months. But uh, he must have been. He probably was still composing. You know, I mean, yeah. So, is that a break? <laughs> I mean, it's a break from touring and playing in front of people. But well, it's a break. Also, you know, it's a break from fish because I think even after they got back together, I know we're skipping around the timeline here. But I think Paige said, and this is not a direct quote, I'm paraphrasing, that one thing he regrets is that they didn't avoid the same problem the Grateful Dead had, is that they hired all their friends and they hired all their families so that if they wanted to take a break, that means that they weren't paying their friends. And so they became this sort of the business, but they were also the, I don't know about enablers, but they were they had friends that were relying on them for income and benefits and stuff. So the pressure to tour became unavoidable and to the point where they were where trey was writing a lot composing a lot in 2000 2001 2002 
almost all of Farmhouse was written by him and he produced it. And I had a feeling that he was trying to maybe separate himself from Fish a little bit. I mean, I went to see the show in September, September 14th at Darien Lake. And when you're seeing a show and the encore is the Unla Josie Wales, you're not really seeing a fish show anymore. <laughs> you know, it's Trey acoustic solo. And so I think that, you know, he wants to take a little breather, he says. But to Scott's point earlier, he went on tour with Tab in 2000 and 2001, released a solo album in 2002. Uh, Gordon released Clone with Leo Kotke in 2002. Paige recorded and toured with Vita Blue. So they were on break from each other, but not really a break from touring and making music. I only saw one show for Fish in 2000. Uh and I want to just bring it back a little bit, if we could reminisce, what the fish scene was like at the time. Charlie, you said you didn't see that much fish at the time, right? No, I can't remember what shows I saw in 2000, other than the two Vegases and the um, the two shorelines within the last week or two of of um, 1.0, so to speak. Uh, I may have seen one over the summer, I just can't remember right now, and I don't have my stats in front of me. Mm-hmm. and. And I'm I'm old, so that's you know I don't my memory isn't what it once was, but I mean as far as you know the scene then, um, I think it's actually still very similar to what it is today, in in that you know all your typical uh, kinds of fans, you know, hanging out in the lot from pre-show, all that was there 23 years ago. Now it's it's uh, maybe at certain venues it's a, a larger scene than it was. 23 years ago but you still got you know a lot of the same types of folks um in the lot pre-show and in general like a lot of organizations that were around 23 years ago among fans are still in existence today Um, like the fellowship funky bitches yeah i mean mockingbird obviously you know there's certainly a lot more community community groups now than there were then which is nice uh, you know, I don't think it was different in um, in kind. You know, I think it was uh, maybe smaller depending on the venue. But like the the scene at Great Woods 20, you know, some odd years ago was strikingly similar to the scene at Great Woods when I was there last year or whatever the hell it was they last played. <laughs> I don't think the scene has really changed that much, frankly. It's just interesting. I had a different perspective because I thought in 2000 when you'd walk around the lot, like 2004 was like survivor wook island you know things were you know dangerous like danger found you i thought sometimes in in 2000 or 99 in 2000 i thought things were like a little less ebullient i think that even maybe even the music also was kind of beatless and a little bit more uh ambient so that it wasn't as upbeat and danceable but in a lot i remember more people whispering like molly farmies and fewer doses goo balls i don't know it just seemed like things got a little harder in the lot like there was danger to be found but you had to look for it but by 2003 or 2004 really it was hard to avoid scott you saw way more shows than either of us what do you think i think it's always been there yeah there there are people selling nitrous going back to the 90s i don't think it was quite as prevalent uh as it is now Memory memory is a funny thing when you remember certain things more than others. You kind of gloss over other things. I feel like you had you know, maybe more shows selling out in 99, 2000 uh, than, you, than you do now. I just feel like they 
I mean, they're they're still very popular, but I just feel like they they got that peak of popularity. I remember before I you know had the fish companions, the, the farmers' almanacs, where they would have the like the capacity of the show, and then like the ticket amounts. Uh, whether it was accurate information or not, I don't know, but you know, it looked like a lot of those shows were selling out in the uh, the late nineties. Now, like you you look at the the MSG run coming up. I think New Year's Eve may or may not be sold out. The three nights are not sold out. And you know, also, you know, the economy is a little different and ticket prices are more expensive. So, I mean, there, there are a lot of different things that go into it. You know, something that strikes me as being, you know, kind of big was going back to technology. You know, people didn't have smartphones. You weren't taking a photo and posting online. So there was no online really to post. You know, social media didn't exist in the late 90s, early, you know, early 2000s. Um, and you have the message boards. I had been passing information along to Brian Reed from fans.com. So that's a name that goes back there, that website. Uh, so you, you know, gave me on this board and fancy tour that just started up. And I was, was passing along set list to, to Brian to, to put on the fans.com at that point. You know, you, you had to rely on whoever was going to pass the information along. Uh, you had to wait weeks, weeks for tapes to show up. You know, you didn't have technology at your fingertips. So in that regard, the, the scene was kind of a little more, it wasn't as dialed in, if you will. Um, so you know, it was kind of more, more focused on the music and, and less on anything else, uh, which is not, you know, always how it is now. Um, so it's, it's definitely different uh, in, in that regard, more more pure, if you will, um, because you just didn't have you know, technology really invading into things. I had similar thoughts. I in some of my my notes, I wrote uh, I wrote that cell phones existed, but they were not common. We didn't know the name and background of every song instantaneously because smartphones were still seven years away. Like if you didn't have a great tape connection. You had to maybe ask your neighbor what the new song was being played. Like, for example, it took me a while to know that Albuquerque was a Neil Young song. I didn't know that Fish didn't write that and GPS didn't exist. So sometimes it was more of an adventure getting to or from the show. Go ahead. Deer Creek in 98, when they were you know, doing all the, the covers that summer, uh, I had no idea what Rhinoceros was. You know, I think I had in my set was this She Knows. And right. says, no, there's no way to look it up. Um, so someone's been either tell you got it right, tell you got it wrong. Um, but it was a lot, a lot harder to have the correct information. Um, and again, now, now you can look it up and be accurate pretty quick. Or if you don't know it, you know, you're a show and, you know, Fish and the Road could have it. Or if you're following my account and I'm tweeting from a show and see, you know, from this archive, but you just didn't have that. Again, it's, it's, it's definitely different. Charlie, who were you as a person and as a fan uh, right before the hiatus? Um, I was an attorney. Um, I was, uh, I think I passed the California bar exam in December of 1999. So less than a year um, before the hiatus. So I was working as a attorney at the firm I'm still at now. I think I started there in April 2000. As a fan at that time, like I said earlier, I wasn't seeing fish that much, primarily because I was working all the time in a new firm as a young lawyer. So 
didn't have a lot of time really to go see shows, but I, I re- remember prioritizing going to Vegas and the shoreline shows because they were so close, you know, to San Francisco where I was living. Then. I was a freshman in college and I was pretty upset when fish announced they were going on hiatus because in my mind, after reading, you know, two versions of the farmer's almanac, uh, Dean Budnick's fish compendium, uh, going on the fishbowl on AOL and just absorbing everything. I Everyone was saying how college was the time that you could just jump in a car with a bunch of friends and go off on an adventure and see fish. It didn't matter where they were playing. Just go on, on your fun adventure. And right when I got to college in the fall of 2000, they're like, all right, we're going. We, <laughs> we, we don't know when we're, we'll be back. It, they literally called it an indefinite hiatus. I put that in quotes. It's an indefinite yeah, hiatus. Yeah, but I mean, and something you said just reminded me. I passed the bar in December 98, not 99. But I was still a young lawyer. Like I was, you know, I was under two years practicing law in October 2000. But I, to, to what you just said, they called it an indefinite hiatus, but I remember thinking at the time that they would definitely be back and that I didn't, I did for whatever reason, I didn't expect it to be that long. And it wasn't, I, I think I mentioned to you, Brian, at one point I got, I got interviewed um, by MTV, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, o- over the phone. And I can't remember how they figured out that I was a fisherman, but they I think it was probably just through the Mockingbird Foundation. I'm actually quoted online as basically, you know, somewhat welcoming the hiatus, saying that, you know, they should spend more time with their family members anyway, um, but that I expected they'll be back. So I just I, I really do remember at the time thinking the hiatus may be indefinite, but but, you know, fish will be back soon. And they were like, it really, it really wasn't that long of a hiatus. So to me, it felt like forever. However, uh, (laughs) I was, (laughs) however, uh, I was in school in Buffalo. And when I wasn't in college, I was home on Long Island, which is very close to New York City. And to me, the jam scene, I put the word jam in quotes because it came to mean anything that involved improvisation. Uh, but the jam scene seemed to be kind of exploding. I mean, I started just writing a bunch of bands. It seemed like any night of the week, Monday through Sunday for $30 or less, usually less, you could find a venue or a band somewhere in New York city to go see. And the first ones that came to mind for me uh, were soul live galactic government, Mule, Mo, Robert Randolph and the family band, Uh, The other ones, which was the Grateful Dead iteration at the time, uh, the Disco Biscuits, and of course, Tab, Trainastasio Band. It just, I don't know if it was Fish's influence was coming home to roost, or uh, as they became kind of more popular and mainstream, like Scott was saying about like VH1 or um, being on, you know, certain promotions for Farmhouse, maybe the rising success of Peter Shapiro and Madison House Productions we're getting a little more influential in the concert promotion arena. But the term jam band was thrown around very loosely at this time. Like they were bands that fit basically any genre you liked, but if they improvised, they kind of found their way into this jam band orbit. You had band, bands that had grown up following Fish uh, or, or the Dead. And, you know, at that point, you said a lot more that showed up in the late 90s. You know, string cheese, umpries, 
So that was like the, the first huge wave. Um, there, there have been bands in the eighties, but just not, not really that same jam band level that really has not died down going into, you know, 2023, 20 plus years later. And now it, I, I don't like using the torch being passed with everybody. You have a new generation of, of jam bands, if you will, that, that popped up in the last couple of years. You know, you, you have the super old, old generation, if you will, with, you know, the Grateful Dead and then, you know, the Allen Brothers aren't around anymore. And so, you know, then you have like Fish and Panic uh, or two of the bigger, you know, things that come to mind from the, uh, from the mid eighties. Um, and then by the early mid nineties, you start having more jam bands that are coming around at that point. You know, people that had grown up in the seventies, if you will, seventies, eighties that had Grateful Dead and, and fishes their two primaries at that point that start to yeah, play their own own music and have been around for decades since. Charlie, were you seeing live music during the hiatus? Oh yeah. Um I saw a lot of Steve Kimmock um living in San Francisco. So I saw basically anytime Kimmock played in any iteration iteration, I saw it. Some Phil and Friends shows. I can't remember if the other ones were still even playing in 2001. But I, I I know I saw a bunch of Phil and Friends. Um, when was Oysterhead? Did Oysterhead start? Oysterhead played their show in uh, around Jazz Fest in 2000, and then they did their their real tour in uh, fall of 2001. Right, and I saw that. I saw something on that, and Humphreys um, McGee. I think I saw my first Humphreys McGee show around then. Widespread, uh, as you mentioned, Scott. I think I saw them. Um, Sound Tribe Sector 9. I may have right. seen them around then. I wasn't really a Disco Biscuits fan, but I'm pretty sure I saw them around then. But yeah, it's like uh basically, you know, I went to the I went to the Fillmore a lot um <laughs> in San Francisco in 2001, 2002, and obviously other years too, since I lived in San Francisco, but I'd have to go back and try to look at stubs <laughs> to see all the things that I saw. But I, I was at the Fillmore almost every month, probably back then, if not every month. That's um, how I feel. I felt like Fish left this vacuum for these 18 months or so or 20 months, however long it was. And looking back, I was kind of balanced between finding new music, but also trying to find something to fill that cup, fill that fish cup that could not be filled but when tab is playing jones beach this enormous venue that fish plays regularly and recently and it sold out you could tell that people were just trying to do that like they were like in the same position they were trying to plug that hole somewhere uh whereas bands we've mentioned uh perpetual groove um, for me, a lot of it was Robert Randolph. They see, and Galactic seemed to play on the East Coast every other day. It seemed, it just seemed like these bands that could play anywhere from six hundred to fifteen hundred person venues. It was an embarrassment of riches. They were everywhere. It was kind of, for lack of a better word, a golden age of jam band music. Whereas the most popular one, aside from the other ones or the Allman Brothers. The most popular one was nowhere to be found. And then in June of 2002, the first Bonnaroo was held in Tennessee. And it seemed like 
with the absence of fish, there was this central gathering place for, I put this in quotes, for the scene. And I don't know, it just seemed like this kind of magnet Bonnaroo was, that any band that was mentioned in the same breath as that word was there with, by the way, Trey headlining one night and widespread panic the other. They say that a a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think Bonnaroo did that for a lot of smaller festivals as well. Do you guys remember the rise of those festivals, like the All Good Festival, Down, and a lot of bands started having their own little curated festivals? So I was at the original Bonnaroo, uh, which was three nights. Oh, okay. um, As opposed to four now. I think that was the real driving force for festivals. You had... You know, in terms of jam band stuff, in the 90s, you had Lollapalooza and Horde. So, I mean, those, those were around. Not, not so much jam band. I mean, Horde, Horde had more stuff uh, as opposed to Lollapalooza. You had Woodstock, better for worse, in 94 and 99. <laughs> um, but Bonnaroo was definitely there. And you had other stuff like All Good that came out after that. So, I mean, you still have new festivals there showing up every year, but that was, that was the big one. I, I want to say that Bonnaroo had kind of gotten their feet on the ground from the fish festivals, how successful those had been uh, going back to Clipper Ball and up through uh, Big Cypress. And it's funny because now it's come full circle where when fish wants to have their festival, I I can't speak for the upcoming Dover Delaware festival, but say something like when they play at um, Atlantic City last summer, all the infrastructure and the setup of what a festival looks like is already there because they set the precedent all the way back in the mid-90s. And Bonnaroo, like you said, Scott, kind of took that template and made it for a wider audience. And now we have a whole summer festival circuit that we see that are focused almost exclusively on this jam band scene that we have. Hi, everybody. Brian here to welcome you to the set break of today's episode of Attendance Bias. First, thank you for listening. And second, just a quick reminder to tell you that even though Attendance Bias comes to you for free, it does take a lot of work and it does take quite a bit of money to keep the lights on here at production. So I just wanted to ask a small favor if you could support the podcast in any number of the following ways. If you could leave a review or a rating of it on whichever podcast app you use. If you could spread the word telling a friend or someone you think may be interested in it about it. Or probably the most concrete way is to go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash attendance bias and donate however much you can financially to help with the continuing costs of attendance bias. So thank you again so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the second half of today's episode. And Charlie, you brought this up in your interview with MTV. There was this question that I called everlasting of, when will Fish get back together? You seemed entirely confident, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the power of positive thought, right? I mean, I didn't, I don't recall having a legitimate basis for that view. Like, I don't recall having any inside information at all whatsoever um i think i think when they announced it to be an indefinite hiatus they were sincere and that was true but i just at the time i just very i I remember very clearly that i felt that they would be back like i just like i had zero doubt that they would be back but i had zero doubt that fish would be back after coventry i like really 
thought there was just no way in hell they were going to end like that. I mean, I just really had no doubt in my mind. It's just a matter of time. If they all survived, that fish would be back. I just um, never. Perhaps, perhaps it was because I was older uh, <laughs> or just and more aware of what was going on. I definitely had a different feeling uh, after Coventry. You know, I wasn't sure about anything at that point. Just how, I mean, it was it was a dark, dark time in fish history. Uh, Vegas being the real black eye, if you will, uh, of 2004. Um, Trey's voice and crew did not being there. And it's just kind of like the wheels went off the cart at that point and leading up to Coventry. And this is something where you, you had had in writing, you know, the band was breaking up, you know, not just a hiatus, it was break up and, you know, on both words, you know, the band's not playing, but breakup seems a lot more final as opposed to, hey, we just need to take a break for a while as opposed to, we can't do this with each other. Yeah, and we'll dig a little bit more into that, the differences of uh, the hiatus versus the breakup uh, in the next episode. But looking back to the trend foreshadowing kids foreshadowing yeah yeah right as the english teacher right there's some just to give you a tease of what's coming i never considered that fish wouldn't come back i agree it just the uncertainty in 2002 uh, was driving me crazy like going to these shows at the uh irving plaza or the lion's den or any number of uh venues the paramount theater in new york city it was like methadone instead of the real stuff that I needed uh, with fish on hiatus, but I don't know where I was, but they did make the announcement. It was on August 14th, 2002, that they were going to make the comeback and it's going to be on new year's Eve, 2002 at Madison square garden. What I do remember is that this was the first time there would be an online lottery, which I did not get tickets. This was my first, we regret to inform you email uh, but I do remember my friend Craig going to the show and calling me during set break. I was at a New Year's Eve party just screaming that Tom Hanks came out and some other nonsense that I couldn't quite make out because of the quality of cell phones at the time. And it was fish at set break at Madison Square Garden during New Year's Eve. Do you guys remember where you were or what you thought when you heard that they were coming back at the New Year's Eve 2002 show? I have no recollection whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I was working in August of 2002, so I, I, I yeah, I also don't remember. Also working. I mean, I, I remember, you know, when they came back for, for Hampton, you know, seeing that that video with, like, the color of Hampton being you know, sketched in. Um, that's, that's pretty clear in my mind. But for 2002, no idea. And what was your reaction to Round Room? Uh, either of you guys when they because they first released walls of the cave as i don't know if this is correct but as like a single basically i remember it being released on talk about flashbacks aol first listen america online had exclusive rights to put out to stream walls of the cave i was not too happy with it i loved the um the cowbell and the piano intro but once the song proper began i thought oh this is fish. I wasn't too happy. And anyone who listens to my podcast knows that I'm not a huge fan of walls of the cave in general, but that's for another episode. What were you guys thinking or 
uh wait charlie did you go to that new year's eve show yes um it was uh, a blast i was thrilled to be able to go um and i went with a bunch of friends it was just could not have been more excited it frankly the vibe in the room was akin to it was that it was on march 6 2009 i mean it was um uh incredible vibe you know the show unfortunately was a mixed bag musically <laughs> um to say the least but uh fun was had by most you know for sure you know i didn't go to the hampton shows that followed it though right right the reverse new year's run scott what were your impressions of uh of round room or of their first show back if you remember uh i i liked round room the things that stand out to me in late 2002 were them appearing on saturday night live uh, oh i don't remember promoting, that. uh promoting stuff they yeah they had uh it was the al gore episode al gore hosted and uh she played song and also appeared in the uh in sketch uh, jared's room jared's room and they, they also used to have, like the saturday tv fun house and like a little animated thing and so it was like charlie brown peanuts and and then fish plays a little bit you enjoy myself like they're, they're the actual studio version gets played um but so I mean, that that sticks out i did not go to new year's i didn't go to the hampton shows and i had just started uh, my job uh, in fall of 2002, and didn't know you know as many people in the scene as uh, you know, wasn't as I do now. You know, didn't really have that that network. You know, at that point, you know, just kind of you know, I had seen 55 shows during uh, in college from 97 to 2000, so still saw a lot, but you know, it's. It's a lot different now uh, for me than it, than it was then. And I ended up only seeing one show from that that winter tour. And so you know, a, a really a different different thing for me at that, that point of my life. The difference there was that now you had live fish and you could go back and listen to the shows a lot faster um, for the downloads. Uh, didn't have apps or anything where you could at least have soundboards the shows. Right. And we'll get into that in our next episode when we get into a quick overview of 2.0 and then what we started to talk about today, the breakup, how it was similar, how it was different from the hiatus. But for those of you who were not around in the scene in the early 2000s, just so you know, life does go on when fish is <laughs> is off the table. So I just want to thank you guys both for joining me to get this started. This time will be different. 15 years since Hampton. So it's these conversations, interestingly, or these uh, these events were 20 over 20 years ago now, like 23 or 24 years ago. So we're really digging back. So uh, next time, the next episode, we'll dig a little bit closer to the present when we talk about what fish was like during 2.0 and what life was like without fish in the jam scene immediately after. So Scott, thank you again so much. And Charlie, thank you again so much for being a part of this. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for having us. And that's it for today's first episode of This Time Will Be Different, 15 Years Since Hampton. I would first, of course, like to thank again, 
Scott Marks, and Charlie Dirksen of the Mockingbird Foundation. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please visit the Mockingbird Foundation and donate anything you can. There's no fact check today for attendance bias since this was more of a discussion-based conversation and no real musical analysis. But I'm already looking forward to next week. I hope you could join us for This Time Will Be Different, episode two, where we get into the return from the hiatus, 2.0, and then, of course, Fish's Breakup. But thank you again for listening and taking this ride with us, and I'll see you next week on Attendance Bias, or This Time Will Be Different, 15 Years Since Hampton. 